Welcome to another week of our four-and-a-half-year verse-by-verse journey through all of God's inspired Word. Before we turn to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can go ahead and go there yourself, I want to remind you of the background here. Paul has been released from his Roman detention, that is, from the house arrest there at Rome. He evidently was reviewed by Caesar Nero, and there was nothing found for him to remain under that status. And so he was released, and based on some of his intention expressed in his letters while he was there at Rome awaiting, we can theorize that he left Rome headed back to the Aegean area. Specifically, I think he was heading for Ephesus as kind of a landing spot. But along the way, he drops Titus off at Crete, and then he leaves Timothy at Ephesus. Uh, Paul may have done that before he took off to Colossae, because we know he went off there. That was his intention. Or he may have waited until he got back from Colossae. But after leaving Timothy at Ephesus, Paul travels up to Macedonia. Most certainly he wanted to go to Philippi. And from there, he is writing this letter. Now, I suspect he was released from detention probably in the later spring of 63, and uh, by the time the fall of 63 rolls around, I think he is in Macedonia and writing back to Timothy, telling him, this is what I had in mind when I left you there. Make sure you function well as the evangelist of God to the folks there at Ephesus and even in the region of Asia province around there. And so he's touched on a lot of different topics, and one of the topics that he is now going to take up is something that's quite a normal part of life in the first century uh, Mediterranean area, and that was servitude or slavery. Now, You should never think of this in the sense of slavery as we understood it here in our American experience, in American history. That really was an atrocity that uh, should never have occurred. I mean, it involved the kidnapping of people out of their homelands and then the breeding of people of only very specific ethnic groups as if they were work animals horrible stuff, and it should have been stopped, and we should be thankful it was stopped. But that's not the slavery here. The slavery of the first century uh, Mediterranean was very much more related to uh, financial issues, such as you got behind in your payments, and you had no means of paying it back, you would be turned into a slave to pay it back. Uh, Now, you might end up being a slave a lot longer than uh, what the value of your work is. But remember, 
they're probably also uh, taking consideration a lot of penalty payments or interest as well. Uh, People who were in war zones, uh, the losing side always owed war reparations to the winning side, and sometimes that was paid off in slaves from the population, from the people of the region. So there's a lot of different ways that you can end up in slavery. And many, many people in the Roman Empire were slaves at one point or another in their life. And so a lot of Christians are slaves. And Paul wants them to understand you have a responsibility to still live for Jesus Christ. Remember when we were looking at Ephesians and Colossians, uh, Paul was telling people not to try to escape as a slave. He wasn't trying to tell them, run away. Um, He did say, if you can get your freedom, you should. Uh, But he basically said, you need to look at slavery as a way to work for Jesus Christ. Do your best. And so that is where Paul is going to go again here at the beginning of chapter number 6. Okay, so that's enough background. Let's move into the text itself. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So there needs to be respect from slave to master so that the name of God and the teachings may not be reviled. Now, pay attention here. It's the idea that you, as a Christian slave, are supposed to be setting a Christian example. Now, the closest parallel to this, and it's not really a perfect parallel, is an employee, someone working for someone else. But the principle remains the same. If you are a Christian, you have a responsibility to show respect and honor to your supervisors, to your employer, because you want everything about your actions to reflect well upon God and upon God's word. Uh, Every Christian is always showing what they really think about God and God's Word. So if we take it seriously, then we live by it all the time. Verse number two, those who have believing masters. So we saw this actually referenced in Philemon because... Philemon was a Christian at Colossae, and his slave, Onesimus, ran away, ended up at Rome, ended up being converted at Rome by the Apostle Paul, and so now the Apostle Paul was sending him back to Colossae, and we have a Christian slave being restored to his Christian master, And Paul expected both of them to be Christian in their lifestyles. Uh, And when Paul wrote to the Colossians and wrote to the Ephesians, he told slaves, you need to do your work as if you're working for Jesus Christ. And he told the masters, 
you need to treat those slaves as humans that need to be respected because they're made in the image of God. Um, And here, Paul is aware that some of the slaves who are Christians might think that they can uh, maybe uh, shrug off some of their work, maybe, uh, cut corners, perhaps, just because they have a Christian master who needs to be um, kind and compassionate toward them according to the Word of God. And Paul says, hey, that's disrespectful to your master. He says, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit uh, by their good services are believers and beloved. Uh, So, to apply this in our own situation, I know there's many of you that are Christian employers. That is, you employ people and you are a Christian. And some of you are Christians employed by Christian employers. And so Paul would say, don't take advantage of that spiritual relationship. Do your work even harder and better for that Christian employer. Don't depend on the fact that if you um, laze about and don't do things properly, they have to forgive you. Because after all, they're a Christian. They're a brother. They're a sister in Christ. They have to forgive you. They have to cut you some slack. Don't take advantage of that relationship. Uh, Certainly, I think all of us would agree that it would be completely inappropriate for us to take a job for our brother or sister in the flesh and then don't do the work. Cut corners. Just because we're family, we figure they have to uh, be nice to us and uh, treat us differently. Don't do it. Not appropriate. Uh, In fact, Paul says, you know what? You need to be doing your best for them because they are believers, because they are your beloved brothers or sisters in Christ. So becoming a Christian means a change in our attitude about everything, including the relationships we have with our employers or employees and those around us, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our husbands, our wives. Everything we do, we should be doing for the best because of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul finishes up by saying, teach and urge these things. Now, it's not just the part about uh, the slaves and masters. He's talking about everything previous to this, all of the things that he's been telling Timothy to pass on uh, to the people there at Ephesus. Then he gives this warning, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, now doctrine's a fancy church word. It just means literally teaching. So if anyone teaches a different teaching, if somebody goes skewing off to the side from what we've been teaching here from the Scripture, 
and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, when you see the word sound in many of these English translations, it represents the Greek word hygiene. Uh, It's the idea of healthy. Uh, So if you skew away from the teachings of Scripture, you're, you're not agreeing with the healthy words given to us by Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, and the teaching that accords with godliness. Uh, We are told by God, be holy as I am holy. So God, our Father, wants us to be like him. That's always been his intention. He made us in his image and his likeness at the very beginning of the human story, And he always wanted each successive generation to be like him. Now, sin screwed all that up, but Jesus Christ gave a way to repair that relationship and to bring us back on track. And so godliness is being like God in everything that we do. So if you don't follow the teachings then you're not following the words of Jesus and you're not following the teaching that we need to be like God. Verse 4, this is the reality of it. He is puffed up with conceit, so he's full of himself, and he understands nothing, so he doesn't have real knowledge and understanding. He has an unhealthy See, that's kind of a playing off of the healthy words of Jesus a while ago. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Now, folks, you know that there are people like this in the church, and it's not appropriate. We have people like this in our society, and even though our society has sin in it, it's still not appropriate. They need to repent. They like to stir the pot. They liked to cause trouble, to drive wedges between people. They seem to enjoy saying the opposite of whatever it is somebody says, just because they want to stir up controversy. So he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. And very often, that's exactly what they do. They play with the words, which produces... Envy. Uh, Envy is this um, problem with uh, an intrusion on a relationship from outside. Uh, So, again, it's that idea of driving wedges between people. Uh, It also produces dissension. So, the the fighting back and forth, you know, the splitting up into, into opposite teams. Slander. So, Uh, words being talked about uh, that are not accurate about people, Uh, and evil suspicions. Uh, This is another problem where um, people don't trust people anymore, and they always suspect that they're up to something. And so that's what this troublemaker is doing here, because he's not paying attention to the healthy words of Jesus Christ. He's not paying attention to the teaching of 
people like Timothy and Paul and the scripture that we have in front of us here. Verse 5, and it produces constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, so they don't have their head screwed on straight uh, from God's perspective, and deprived of the truth. And that's probably why they're depraved, is because they are not depending upon God's word. Uh, As Peter writes later, he says that God's word is basically everything we need for life and godliness, the ability to be like God. And so if you are deprived of the truth, the word of God, the teaching of God, then you will end up being depraved in mind, very much like what is being described here. And then Paul gets around to, I think, describing who he has in mind here. He says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And when we use godliness in this context, think of it in air quotes here, godliness as in uh, a form of godliness. It's a religiosity sort of thing. So these guys think that religion is a means of getting financial gain, to get material gain. So these are the hucksters that we're thinking about here. Uh, And Paul knew uh, that he'd had fights with these guys before. We've actually talked about them in several of his letters. I think way back when we were doing the, the Corinthian letters, that was part of the problem. Those personality cult leaders were wanting to line their own pockets and also uh, build up their own power base by having uh, disciples that followed them. And that's not good. That's The purpose of godliness is not to be like a personality cult leader. It is to be like God. Uh, uh, Paul said, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. So every religious leader is supposed to be putting on the example of Jesus Christ for other people to follow. Uh, And so... It's not a matter of lining the pockets or lining uh, their own personal power base. Now, Paul does say this. He says, now, there is great gain in godliness. There is. If, if you're talking about real godliness, with contentment. Now, he's also talked on this topic of contentment before. But let's see how he uh, drives home the point here. There is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world. So all of us were born naked with no possessions. We didn't bring anything out with us, just us, just our physical body. So we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So when we die, our spirit departs this body, and it's going to either go and be with Jesus Christ, or it's going to go and await judgment by Jesus Christ. We don't get to take any physical possessions with us. Uh, It doesn't matter that the pharaohs tried to fill their 
mortuary tombs with all sorts of goodies to use after uh, their death. It doesn't matter that you've got some rich people that insist that all their possessions be buried with them. Uh, you could even be buried in a Cadillac with your, your checkbook. Won't do you any good. Nothing. Uh, because where your spirit goes, it takes nothing with it. And so that is what Paul points out here. Verse 8. So, if we have food and clothing, talking about while we're alive, if we have food to sustain us and clothing to keep us, you know, warm or uh, protected in the elements, with these we will be content. So he's talking about the basic needs here. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So he's not talking about wealthy people that are dealing with that appropriately. There are many wealthy Christian people. And in the pages of Scripture, we see several of the heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for one, for three. Uh, they were very wealthy in material possessions. But the bigger thing that they were wealthy in was relationship with God. And so uh, their wealth was not what they were pursuing. And so Paul's critique here is about those apparently in leadership that were looking at the religion of Christianity as a means of getting money and wealth out of religious people, out of Christians, and transferring all that into their own control. And the people that desire to get wealthy in that means, they're falling into a trap. And it's only going to ruin them. And worse, it's not going to just simply ruin them in this world. It's going to ruin them in eternity. Verse number 10, Paul says, and this is way often uh, misquoted, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, so this, this love of wealth, this friendship with wealth is the problem. Uh, and it, it helps us understand why Paul, in his Timothy letter, chapter number three, and in his Titus letter, chapter number one, says uh, that the leadership, the spiritual leadership of the church must not, must not have this overwhelming love of money, this friendship with the physical uh, because that's the root of all sorts of bad stuff. Uh, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. Uh, you remember the rich young ruler? Jesus told him as a kind of a test, if you want to be my disciple, give up every physical thing that you have, give that the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. And he couldn't do it. 
he couldn't do it. It broke his, his spirit that he was so wealthy and Jesus said, you got to give it all away if you want to be my follower. And so he walked away. Uh, and Jesus was grieved seeing that he couldn't cross that line uh, because he was wandering away from the, the faith. That's what he'd been asking about. How can I have eternal life? And Jesus gave him his answer. You've got to let go of what's keeping you away from a relationship. And that was his wealth. Uh, now, I hope, and I, you've heard me say this, those of you who've been my uh, students for a while, I hope that the rich young ruler repented of that eventually. I wonder whether or not the uh, guy only in a bedsheet uh, at the uh, Garden of Gethsemane in, in the Gospel of Mark might be the rich young ruler having followed through with what Jesus had said to him. Uh, but we won't know until uh, we're in eternity. But the application for all of us is this. We must not let an overwhelming desire to accumulate stuff, to accumulate wealth, take us off track with our relationship with Jesus Christ, with our faith. Um, when, we, when, we f when we feed this greed to get wealthy at all expenses, I mean, cut corners, cheat, uh, steal, lie, uh, deceive, uh, we are compromising our faith. And that's the group that Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about the people that work hard and apply themselves and put in the effort. And by that, they accumulate uh, the money that they can give to their church and give to people in their family and help their friends out and things like that and help the poor people around them out. That's not the group he's talking about because those people are hanging on to the faith. And it's demonstrated in the way they use their money. He is talking about those that throw the rules out the window, the rules of Jesus Christ, the, the faith of Jesus Christ, and they will cheat and steal and harm other people's uh, relationship, all just to line their own pockets and to make sure that they have more than anybody else around them. And that's never a good attitude. And so I hope uh, any of you that might have, you know, that feeling down in you that you really, really want lots and lots of money, then first make sure you want lots and lots of relationship with Jesus Christ and with his brothers and sisters in Christ and let that control the way that you accumulate physical things to yourself. Um, we are pretty much out of time for today. We will come back to the topic of wealth later in this same letter. So keep your eyes out for that. Uh, have a great rest of your day, and I will see you tomorrow as we get back into the Word.